All right, eightcountnews.com and bradcooney.com would like to welcome in the front man of the Killer Dwarfs, Russ Dwarf. What is up, man? Hey, I'm up in Canada, freezing my dwarfness off. <laughs> I hear you, man. A great white north. Russ, man, you got a lot of things going on, but before we talk about some of your current projects, I want to take you back in time a little bit. Um, Let's talk about the early days, man. I want to talk about the early days of the Killer Dwarfs. Kind of, you know, as as as, uh, as brief as you can. Just give us a quick rundown on how the Killer Dwarfs all got started. How did it all start? How did the Killer Dwarfs got started? Hmm, let's see. Well, uh, I was in a band uh, called Oz. Uh, this is probably like 1979, 1980-ish. And uh, holy smokes, I wasn't even born then. Uh, <laughs> And uh, it was basically, we did a lot of rock songs, and we did a uh, Alice Cooper set, like a tribute to Alice Cooper thing. We did Zeppelin and Pat Benatar, and, you know, at that point my voice was so high only dogs could hear it, so <laughs> it was all good. And uh, Daryl uh, and Bryce, uh, like Andrew's in the band with me, the original bass player, and uh, Daryl, uh, uh, the drummer, and uh, Bryce, they had a band called Sphinx, and they toured all over the place, and we toured all over the place, and... Uh, we were playing at a place called the Circle Electric that's no more in old Quebec City. It was a fabulous old place, like an old theater, and it was just crazy. These are just crazy days of whooping her up. And, and you do like uh, six or seven nights there, and like four fifties a night, and it was just crazy. And, and so they had a band house, and uh, Daryl's band was playing the next week, and they came in the night before, and they had no place to crash, so we let them stay with us, and, uh, you know, they came to our show, and, of course, we partied like crazy, and, and we got, you know, by the wee hours in the morning, we were talking, we weren't really happy with either of our situations, and we thought, oh, let's start a band together. So, and at that point, uh, ironically enough, uh, Daryl, he was, uh, we stayed an extra night to uh, watch his band, and uh, was he was walking up the stage, and I was walking beside him, and we were talking, and he said, oh, man, I always wanted to be a front man. And he, and he went up there, and he, because like, he, he sang lead vocals behind the kit, right? Mm -hmm. But, and, uh, you know, now all these uh, years later, he has his own band that he's fronting, Auto Man. Hmm. I, I don't. I don't know if you know of them, but uh, they've got a couple records out, and, and Dogs Balls, as we affectionately call him, is a, a, a singer, a lead singer. Wow. And uh, so we 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 basically you know made that pack there, and uh, we went. Um, we all ended up back in uh, Oshawa, Bryce and Daryl's hometown, and uh, we rehearsed for like three weeks and did our first uh, gig on. Uh, I think it was New Year's Eve, nineteen eighty eighty one. Hmm. And uh, from there, you know, let the games begin. So, so was it 1983 when you guys released your like a, like a, the the Killer Dwarfs, the self-titled Killer that was Dwarfs the first album? Yeah, that was in the fall of '83. Uh, we, I think we'd been together like uh, like 13 months, and we got a record deal, uh, and uh, we it was with a, an independent Canadian company called Addict Records, and a mm -hmm. guy named Tom Williams. Vice President, he uh, signed us, and that was our first uh, entry into uh, Hurry Up and Wait and Keep All Your Money. Yep, so then in 86 was when I was first exposed to you guys. In fact, I was in the, in the, in the Navy on, wow. on, on the USS Truett, and we had a little ship cool. store. You know, this, each, each ship has this little store. You can go up there and buy cigarettes and lighters and candy and just hats or whatever. And they actually had some, some cassette tapes in there. And I bought your guys' cassette tape in that little ship store. And I also bought Poison's 
Wow. I, wanted to, I think they're their first cassette tape in that little shit store. That's so bizarre. That's bizarre <laughs> because that, uh, that album was independently released, right? Like, we had left the first company we were with, and we decided to make our own record, which was Stand Tall. And, uh, you know, that was... We sold 100,000 units of that in 86, and that was just, like, unheard of for, for a Canadian band, right? But I, yeah. I can't believe it was actually on a... You found it on a ship somewhere floating around. Like, yeah. Just, that's just bizarre because it wasn't, like, a mass-marketed record whatsoever, right? You know, but that's cool. What a great story. I love it. Pretty weird, man. All right, so the first... Um, the first... I, I, is, is it fair to say the first break you guys was when MTV started spinning Keep the Spirit Alive um, that was kind of your big your first big exposure no? Yeah pretty much and MTV was really young there and like I said that record was an independent record and uh, we had left the first label with the Killer Dwarf record the first mm-hmm. Killer Dwarf record and we you know had not a nice parting of the ways and uh, for some reason that record took off in San Antonio and, and they love a lot uh, a guy named Joe Anthony who was a fame for the Godfather of Rock down there who was a famous DJ and broke a lot of bands and especially a lot of Canadian bands yeah Helix right didn't Helix do the same thing uh, Helix and mm-hmm. Max Webster and yeah. Rush and Priest and wow. Hayden and you know he, this guy was just a total metal metal dude right and uh, he had actually uh, the company just said they couldn't get a hold of us and, and he hunted me down somehow and uh, called my house and said oh your song's number one down here and I went fuck you who's this <laughs> and so we ended up going down there we hadn't even released Dan Tall yet it was just ready to come out the next uh, uh, fall uh, spring and this was 86 this was July 86 and we thought we, you know we used to play a lot of shows and yeah, up here and then we, we went down there for the first time and we played with Except in San Antonio and it was just crazy and, and from that, there it you know everything took off we started getting offers like crazy and then we got uh, with Sony and and uh, but uh, around that same time MTV definitely took a liking to us because of the you know the comedy and you know we always took the, the music seriously but it, we try to have fun with it because it's just man you know if you want to be miserable yeah we'll do something else right we always had we always had a good sense of humor right our motto was you gotta laugh or you're gonna cry so yeah but that, that definitely did totally help the band like no doubt about it so then we moved to 1988 and I believe it was Epic Records um, we, we, big deal. Um, big deal, yeah. Yeah. Um, and we stand alone, right? That was that was uh, that was nice. Nice response from that one. We stand alone. Yeah, that was like, and that, the, the, from stand tall, like it was, there was excuse for alive, and there was stand tall, and then there was uh, uh, we stand alone, and those were like three videos that were almost like in a theme. They were, we mm-hmm. used the same director who was like a neighbor of mine from when I grew up as a kid, and and uh, I don't know the record. I don't, company like that video too much and when i look at it now it's fucking frightening but uh you know you gotta do what you gotta do you, you know we were having so much fun by then because we you know we were an overnight sensation like 10 years later and uh it was just you know we were having so much fun we weren't uh i don't know we were paying attention but shit shit just goes crazy everybody has their own opinion of it i'm sure if you talk to everybody that was involved in it at the time they'd have their own opinion but i look at that video now and i'm frightened yeah, I look at some of my haircuts back in those days. That scares the shit out of me too, man. Um, yeah. Just a lot of things back then. But you know, "Dirty Weapons" is probably my favorite song you guys ever put out. Um, it just rocks, man. I just love that song. 
Talk, talk about that song a little bit, man. How, how did it come about? How, how, what's the thought behind that song? That song, I, I wrote uh, the lyrics to that song. I was just like, I'm a huge news junkie and an information junkie, and I love history and everything. Mm-hmm. And I was just sitting, uh, watching TV one day, and I don't know, some kind of like, some kind of ruckus going on in the world, and I just kind of like was watching this snip of TV, and they, it just started coming in my head, like, you know, and if you read the lyrics, it pretty much sounds like a news mm-hmm. kind of scenario, and that, that was basically how that came about, you know what I mean? Absolutely. Kind of like a political type gag. Now, was that like... Things, it just came in like 15 minutes. That's crazy. Yeah. Crazy. And sometimes that's... I think I was talking to Lita Ford not too long ago, and then... Her and Ozzy wrote that huge duet together. She said that happened by mistake too, in in in, in, a, in like in a garage somewhere. In the thing I love that tune. What's the name of that song? Close Close Your Eyes Forever. I believe. Oh yeah, that's an awesome tune. Yeah, love it. She said that they slapped that together in like thirty minutes. I mean, sometimes it happens like that. It that the same thing happened with Keep the Spirit Alive, and we had the music already, and I was by myself one Saturday, and I just started listening to it, and it came in like twenty minutes, and and so, same with Doesn't Matter, same thing we. Uh, Andy Johnson yeah, was on the, the Dirty Weapons album and we had done a lot of pre-production ourselves and then we did two weeks of pre-production with him and, and uh, he and after the first couple of days he said oh we need one more tune so we just went back and into the, into the hotel and uh, pounded that out in about 20 minutes unbelievable now yeah. after Dirty Weapons did the band is that pretty much when the band went, went different directions was that the last big song from the band no we did uh, Method to the Madness. Uh, that's right, that's right. Yeah, and that was the last epic record. And, you know, at the time, uh, we changed a member. And then on top of that, you know, music uh, for our genre was changing because, yep. you know, Pearl Jam came out and Nirvana came out and things changed, right? It's all cyclical, you know what I mean? And, uh, you know, when you're on a giant label like that, too, there's so much politics involved. It has nothing to do with palate. Oh, no. Any sort. You could be selling toilet paper, for God's sake. You know what I mean? Some people have, in the corporate world have a hard time um, making a decision or, you know, being known for making that decision. They don't want to be responsible for it, you know what I mean? But, some, you know, I've met other people along the way that have, you know, stick to their beliefs and stuff like that, you know, and we're just, we're just entertainers, man. We're, you know, we're not trying to save the freaking world here. We're just, uh, you know, trying to get away without uh, working for a living. Yeah, I, I was talking to Joey Allen of Warrant, um, interviewed him on the podcast, and we talked about the same thing about how the whole Seattle thing happened with Pearl Jam and Nirvana and the whole grunge thing. Um, did you guys have any clue that would be such a curveball at what you guys do in music when it first happened? you kind of just you're focused on it's a you know it's an egocentric narcissistic kind of a lifestyle too you're just focusing on your own thing I remember you know because uh, I think Pearl Jam was on CBS and we always get you know free records so that a rep would chill mm-hmm. up just dump a bunch of stuff and I remember when we were doing Method to the Madness and, that, and I saw that record you know it was just a different different styles the styles start to change and stuff and that's that's the way it, it all is you know it really in the business part of it nothing changes but the haircuts you know mm-hmm. the time moves on man but you know now look at this stuff like we're old guys now compared to you know when we were that, when that was all happening 
but uh, it's all come back around. Yeah. People, people still enjoy it because it, it touched their hearts and right. it was, and you know, it, it means something to them. And even to the younger generation that weren't even born then, I have lots, lots of fans that come out to see me and uh, they're, they weren't even born, man. They're like 21 and 22 <laughs> years old and they know every lyric, they know everything about it, you know, and I was like, I was at a gig a couple months ago and I was in the can taking a piss and the, one of these kids was beside me and they always show up and they all, they have their, you know, Iron Maiden shirts on and, mm-hmm. and I said, how the, ha- how the hell did you uh, ever find out about this? And he, he's like, oh, my dad turned me on to him, man. I go, how old's your dad? He's like, he's 52. I go, he's the same age as me. For <laughs> so, you know, it's a generational thing and. You know, uh, like I, I also play in a band, a Canadian band that's been around since the early '70s called Moxie. Yeah, and uh, they're a legendary uh, band. Absolutely, I heard of them. Yeah, and I've played with them for like the last four years, and we we go to Texas every couple of years, and they're huge there, like they're massive, and it's so generational. There's like three generations that uh, come out to these shows, and they know every word. It's just bizarre. But like I said, it's you know music is it should be something that you know for the soul and for the spirit, and it is. It touches people and they remember things. Mm-hmm. It's, it's it's really ironic you bring up the Iron Maiden story because I have a similar Iron Maiden story not too long ago. In fact, I shared this with Joey Joey Allen. I saw a kid probably about fifteen years old wearing an Iron Maiden shirt. I stopped him. It was it was in a mall, and I was like, "Hey man, so what do you know about Iron Maiden?" And he just looked at me and he said, well, you want to know before Bruce Dickinson or after Bruce Dickinson? And I was like, wow, dude, you do know your shit. And I was like, holy, no. I was like, great, man. That's good well, stuff. It shows that the music has, you know, survived. Like that, that genre of music has survived the test of time. And they were good songs and they're good. You know, there's a lot of great players and fabulous singers and, you know, you know, it's just, it's good, so it stands the test of time. Absolutely. Right? You know, I miss lead solos, Russ. The, 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 today's music, they're just not, you just don't hear the good old lead solos in songs anymore. Yeah, well, and that happened, I think, a little bit in the 90s. Too, right. Was the, there was no guitar solos and stuff. I don't know. I, I'm just an old rock and roll dude, and and you, you got to have, have a solo. You got know, to, man. <laughs> there's no doubt about it, right? I'm, you know, I can't say that I'm, like, hip to all the latest stuff that's out there but you know every once in a while you hear something wicked like I love that new band Rival Sons I think they mm. totally uh, I don't know if you've heard them but they're just an awesome band they've taken every every probably influence that I've ever had and uh, made it into some hodgepodge of some <laughs> great friggin tunes and they're great players and great singing and you know I enjoy it and they're young they're young kids I'll definitely look them up. All right, you so let's, it for sure. yeah, definitely I will. Let's talk about some things you're doing now. You're working on this acoustical project. Um, talk about that and um, just just touch on that a little bit. Yeah, I have. Uh, I've been uh, work, uh, all last year. Uh, pretty much, I worked on this record. Uh, uh, it's called Rust Dwarf Wireless, and it's an acoustic album, and it's a bunch of. Uh, it's like. There's like 11 tunes on it, and they're my favorite KD songs, 
worked on acoustically because the last couple of years I've been doing a, an acoustic duo with a friend of mine, Glenn Belcher, that I've known since I was 14 years old. He's an, an epic player. And uh, basically, we've just been having a, a lot of fun, eating a lot of Chinese food, and <laughs> drinking a lot of Japanese beer, and having a lot of laughs because I've got a lot of my old friends have come and played on it, and we've just had a riot. And then I got a couple of new friends on it. Uh, Glenn Drover from Megadeth played it. Oh, nice, on it. nice. On uh, Stan Tall and uh, Bumblefoot. Uh, played a solo on one of the tunes and you know we just had a great time doing it and uh, we're just about finished mixing it and, and uh, we were actually supposed to be in last night but uh, the flu bug has uh, killed our engineer so we're hoping <laughs> to get in on Thursday and finish it we're almost done we're, we're ready to rock here and hopefully it's going to be out in February that's what we're planning on, on right now and I'm I'm going to be uh, actually I start uh, a US tour on the 5th of March uh, and I'm gonna be going all the way down to Florida. Uh, I'm gonna be on the Monsters of Rock cruise. Yeah, let's talk about that because that, that was actually I'm gonna segue into that next. Next with this Monsters of Rock cruise, I guess Kicks is one of my favorite bands. Kicks, man, but they're, they're the Baltimore, Maryland area. Mm-hmm. Helix, yeah. Lita Ford, who we just talked about. Yeah. Um, you. That's, That's exciting, man. Talk about it. Oh, this gonna, it's going to be fun. John Karabi's on it. He's a good, good pal of mine. And, uh, you know, uh, Tesla and Cinderella. And there's just a whole whack of great, great Jeez. Uh, bands on this thing. So I don't know. Just, as long as everybody doesn't come out in the daytime, I guess it'll be all good. <laughs> so we're looking forward to that for sure. It's going to be fun. We're, you know, it's a bit way off, so I'm, I'm, I'm excited about it. But i got uh, so much other junk to do here along the way mm-hmm. to survive it, right? How, how Maybe I'll come down to uh, Mississippi and play a show there. Oh man, I'll, I'll shoot. I'll get that set up, man. If you want to do it, that's for sure. I would love to play in Mississippi. Well, like, we'll get Rob involved, and we'll see if we can make that happen, man. Yeah, there's plenty. Playing Tupelo, man. Tupelo, yeah. Right. I live outside of Jackson. We got some good rock clubs here. Of course, we got Biloxi. Yes, oh, sir. I, I, oh, I, I have a story about Jackson, Mississippi, but I'm not going to tell it today. <laughs> All right. Well, maybe next time. <laughs> Yeah. Oh man! You know what? Uh, go ahead, go ahead, go ahead. Finish the thought. No, I was just—I I was just—you were just reminding me of old stories and stuff. <laughs> but I can't tell that one today. It's, <laughs> it's too early in the day. Yeah. Uh, uh, we're looking forward to coming down and playing. Uh, I'm going to be just doing the acoustic duo thing, but uh, it's a lot of fun, and uh, I'm going to be playing with Randy Jackson uh, from Zebra on. Uh, I think. May March eighth. Geez, Zebra's another band. I mean, the, Love the, Zebra. yeah, they're fantastic. And you being a high vocalist like that, that guy rivals you, man. He can almost sing higher than you can. Oh yeah, he's an awesome singer. A couple of years ago, uh, I was uh, there. He played a casino up here, and uh, he was with a forty-piece orchestra that did all Zeppelin, and it was just a fabulous. Oh thing. man. You can shatter a wine glass, man. I mean, tell me what yeah. you want. Remember that song? Yeah, I love that too, man. Yeah. I love all, uh, so I'm looking forward to actually meeting him and everything, and, and uh, you know, it'll be fun. Now, will you be doing the, your, your acoustic stuff on the, on the Monsters of Rock on the ship tour? Or I'm, going, I'm doing the acoustic stuff on the ship uh, awesome. this time. Um, but I'm probably going to end up, hopefully, you know, kicking out some jams with some dudes and 
you know, it's getting a little rock and roll going too, right? Yeah, man. Now you put out, I believe, on Twitter the Dirty Weapons acoustic. I listened to that. That was that was yeah. great. That you heard that yesterday. Yep, sure did. That's it. There's two versions of that on this acoustic album, and this is a really freaky version that, uh, like I told you, my buddy Glenn Belcher he came up with, and it's just an awesome version. I totally love it. Yeah. Yep. It's uh, it's it's a great vibe to it and stuff. But I hope I hope everybody likes it. It's just these are just my interpretations of these songs that I love. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. Absolutely, man. All right. So where where well, once it, once you do release your 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 acoustic. Um, CD. Where can people buy that? Well, it's going to be a. Uh, I have a brand new site, rustwarf.com. Uh, you can probably go there now, but it's not. It's just going to be a coming soon page. Right, but right. it's just about the ready to be launched, and you're going to you can get it off there for sure. And then all the normal places like Amazon and iTunes and whatever else is on the thing. You, you probably have to talk to Robbie about that. Yeah, no problem. And you can get stuff at the shows too. Uh, we're we're just pressing some junk now, and uh, you know. Hopefully, uh, people like it and buy it because music is not free. No, man. People got to pay their bills, man. You got to gotta buy the stuff. That's right. I got to move into my new house. Absolutely. Russ, what an honor to talk to you, man. Big fan of yours for many, many years. Anything we missed out? Anything we didn't talk about you want to get plugged before we, before we wrap it up? I think we're good, buddy, and I'll talk to you again for sure when the record comes out or when I'm on, yeah. down there in March or something. Hopefully, we can come through town and I can meet you in person. Definitely, man. We'll... Appreciate the support and thanks for loving all that stuff. You're giving me a crazy story about getting Stan Tall on a ship. Yes, absolutely, man. All right, man. Thanks a lot, brother. We'll be in touch. We'll, we'll get you back on. All right. Cheers, Brad. Take care, Russell.